Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, Massachusetts is the fourth most expensive state for elderly residents in assisted living facilities. And more than half of the state's residents who are 65 and older, who live independently, do not have enough money for the basics, including food and shelter. Plus, the pandemic has accelerated the systemic problems elders face, like caregiver burnout, nursing home shutdowns, and worsening isolation not to mention the ever-increasing price tag that comes with such care. But inspired by global models and local successes, innovative solutions are on the rise. During this May, Older Americans Month, an up-close look at specific ways to improve the systems and culture which support and sustain elders. Later in the show, is America's health care system broken? It's complicated. Boston-based pediatrician Mark Vonnegut details the changes he's seen in medicine in his latest book, The Heart of Caring. But first, joining me remotely, Jessica Kim, co-founder of IonaCare, a Boston-based startup that provides tech-enabled caregiver support through employers and health plans. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. Also with me, Joe Carella, Executive Director of the Scandinavian Living Center, an assisted living facility specializing in community-centered living in Newton, Massachusetts. Hi, Joe. Hi. Thank you for having me. And also with me, Marlena Del Hero, a gerontologist and VP of Partnerships at Seniorly, an online platform providing access and insight to over thousands of senior living communities across the country. Thanks for joining us, Marlena. Thank you for having me. So we're going to tackle three of the factors that come up a lot when we talk about elder care or the quality of life for elders. And that's, you know, where will you live? How will you live? And caregiver burnout. And you three are uniquely qualified to talk about all of those issues. So I want to just dive right in. I'm going to start with you, Joe, because the way that your housing facility works, you say. It's really not about housing. It's about creating different opportunities for people to gather. So it's a whole new look at how seniors live together. Yes. Years ago, I did some research in Scandinavia. I was able to get a research grant, and I saw the best of the best throughout Denmark, Sweden, Norway, and Finland. And when I came back, uh, one of the things I realized is that we segregate our populations. And that's, I think, where the problem starts, because community-centered living is, a, is, a, is an easy concept, but a very difficult concept for people to embrace, because we are already institutionalized. Everyone is, from young to old, into the 80s and 90s, because we've, all we've seen is institutional living. 
So when we built the Scandinavian Living Center, uh, I, I can, can't tell you how many times I was told I was crazy for doing 50% of the building common space. Uh, some of the innovative things we did 20 years ago, but what it led to was over 2000 visitors, not counting family and friends coming every month, not to just, just to be there to gather for the programs. We had over 40 organizations that were utilizing us as a headquarters, a gathering place. And that's where we were when we had to close down the building for COVID. And it, it, it's taking us to a different level now because we're learning so much about isolation. But at the end of the day, it's not about elders, it's about neighbors living at the Scandinavian Center, neighbors working at the Scandinavian Living Center, and neighbors gathering, just like an old-fashioned community. Mm. So that's how you live. Uh, Marlena, I'm going over to you, VP of Partnership and Gerontology at Seniorly. Let's talk about, you know, where you can live and how this works out. So first, tell me how Seniorly works. Yeah, so Seniorly is a marketplace for senior living. We're online. So you can think about how Seniorly powers a guided senior living journey. Um, we use personalized care management. So we actually have a trained gerontologist team. So these are professionals who have, you know, received their master's in gerontology or some aging specialty. So they're like essentially helping families who are calling and asking a variety of questions. And then we, we verify senior living properties as well. So you can come onto our website and you can search for a variety of different options based off of your budget, based off of your care needs, um, maybe language. I mean, there's a lot that you can do um, type of you know, care that these communities provide to then narrow down those options. And then lastly, we actually then connect you to a professional local advisor. So Seniorly has uh, partners with local uh, advisors. There's a specialize in senior living nationally. These are advisors who go into these communities very often. Um, they meet with fam families. They tour with families. So, so Seniorly is really trying to handhold the family through the search experience. I think I want to highlight something that you say in kind of capital letters. Most people don't start looking for housing until they must have it, which I, I take from you is that that's not a wise move. It's not. I mean, that's that's the, the issue. I think that everyone here in the senior care ecosystem sees and notices. I mean, one thing I can note is that so seniorly actually um, showcases a variety of different types of senior living communities. So that also includes continuing care retirement communities where you might move in to these properties at a younger 60, even late 50 year old or year young um, individual. We even have active senior apartments on senior Seniorly. So we're actually finding that there's quite a few people who are starting earlier in the journey. I mean, obviously, when it comes to assisted living communities, memory care communities, um, unfortunately, we do find that you know families aren't unnecessarily planning for this because they just don't know where to go or they just don't think that they're going to be in that situation. So yes, there's a lot of stress, emotion. I mean, this is a very important decision that your uh, family member could be making for their loved one, or if you're making that for yourself. Well, I think all of these decisions are framed in emotion because it's just the nature of the beast. So Jessica Kim, co-founder of Ayana Care, this is a startup that you founded in 2018, and it uh, speaks directly to caregiver support. So um, 54 million family caregivers, this is a stat I 
got from our research, spend an average of 25 hours a week on top of full-time jobs. And 32% of them leave their full-time jobs to care for loved ones. And what you're saying and what your what your app, your startup is is doing is really directly addressing the caregivers who find themselves in a and sometimes in an untenable position. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's this fundamental shift that we're all talking about and that the whole world is experiencing and and it's this shift in the way we live, work and care. And when we think about it, you know, it's really all happening in the home, outside of the hospital. The hospital's care is being pushed into the home and work is in the home and family caregivers are carrying the brunt of this impact. They are the invisible backbone of our entire healthcare system and society. So what we do at Iana Care, it's called Iana Care, it's I-A-N-A Care, and it stands for I Am Not Alone Care because it could be a deeply isolating situation where family caregivers don't even know where to begin, which a lot of you have touched on. And we are essentially that front door. We um, are that first step to navigating all the care in the home. And so we've identified all the different layers of support that every caregiver or care recipient would need at some point outside of the hospital. And so when we think about care in the home, the number one piece of advice that any clinician will still say is ask your friends and family for help, right? Um, but it's actually quite awkward, really burdensome, and people don't actually do it. And so we utilize technology to act as this buffer, and we've proven that it really mobilizes meals, rides, respite care, child care, pet care, house errands, all those everyday tasks. We have teams that grow up to 50 to 200 supporters in a matter of four days. It's really quite amazing to see. Um, but we also know that it's not enough because friends and family it, you know, helps here and there. And so we fill in the gaps with the second layer, which is local resources. And you punch in a zip code across the whole country or nationwide and you get this Yelp-like experience to food security, transportation, rehab, financial aid, all the social determinants of health resources that exist in your own town, but you just don't know because they're not built to market to you. So we connect you there. And then our third layer is uh, expert content, um, everything from mental health to care management. And then our fourth layer is we work with employers and health plans where we integrate all these existing benefits for working caregivers, but they just don't know they exist and we curate them. And so we'll know that you're on the gold plan, not the silver plan. And so you go in there and you only see what you're already eligible for. So it really takes all the guesswork away and you can unlock benefits that you that's already paid for. Um, and then those first four layers are really tech driven and really, you know, feel very passionate about this because this is where it could be a better user experience, especially when you're looking at all these different resources. Um, it's more scalable, it democratizes the care to reach more people. Uh, but we also know that it's a highly complex and emotional journey. So we do match every caregiver up with our fifth layer, which is a human caregiver navigator, who is essentially your right-hand person throughout the entire journey, helping you through all the different stages and phases of caregiving. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are Jessica Kim, you just heard her, co-founder of Iona Care, Joe Carella, executive director of the Scandinavian Living Center, and Marlena Del Hero, 
VP of Partnerships at Seniorly. We're discussing the past, present, and future of elder care. Now, something, Joe, you've said that has really stood out for me is the biggest obstacle to elder care is our perception. Before you respond, I want to play a clip from Boston's Age Strong campaign. This is a a city-based campaign, which is really about supporting Massachusetts elders. I've been called many things. Little old lady. Grumpy old man. Weak. But you didn't think that, right? I'm the life of everybody. I start trends. I'm an activist. I am in my prime. I'm aging This is my bingo Tuesday. This is my senior moment in the city of Boston. So I chose that, Joe, because... um picking up on what you've said, that if we have a focus on perceiving folks 65 plus as frail and in need of help, then that, as you say, disconnects people from them, puts them, you know, they're sort of on that that little piece of ice out to sea somewhere. They're not part of the community. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's the perception. And they're trying to say, look, I'm senior, but I'm active. The, the most important thing is just the human connection. I'll never forget, I was hiring the cultural director and I said, listen, I need you to have programs for the community, but forget about the elders living here. It's not about them. I want you to get all these, just the community. And what she didn't know is what I was saying is part of that community are the people living here. It's all ages. Don't do not segregate. Because my concern was she was going to say, well, if I'm going to bring a program into the Scandinavian Living Center, I have to do it for the elders. And I just wanted that to go away because Believe it or not, older people like yo-yo shows. They like an ice cream social. <laughs> and that's the environment. I actually have a cute story where this little girl came with her mother to one of our uh, annual ice cream socials here in Newton, and she thought we were an ice cream place. <laughs> and I, it's just you have to laugh. And it's about bringing the people together and changing the perception. I had an outpatient uh, uh, company here prior to COVID, and the young people would come into our fitness room and we had the, the, the residents, the neighbors living here were working out on the machines. And the therapist said to me, it's amazing. They get inspired because they're embarrassed because they think if you're 85, 90 years old, you shouldn't be on machines. So they stop complaining about the stretching or the exercise they're about to do. So it was a positive influence without pushing it. So to me, it's just all about the human connection, good or bad. It actually, it leads to a conversation. So I I just think it's important at all aspects, everything we do, the design of the building, the technology, helping each other out. It's all about the human connection. Yes, I think what you're saying is uh, paramount in everybody's approach to taking care of elders in Massachusetts and elders taking care of themselves, actually, as, as the point being. Um, One of the problems, of course, that is for those folks who are looking for someplace to live, Marlena, is there's been a shortage, staffing shortage. There's a staffing shortage everywhere in every aspect of businesses now, primarily because of the pandemic. But it's especially crucial among those who are workers in nursing homes and other related facilities. I first want to play this clip. This is from WCVB Channel 5 of Braintree Manor nursing home resident Penny Tree experiencing staffing shortages amid the pandemic. I was screaming, get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of this pain. I was screaming at them. I was in terrible pain and they didn't come for me. We need to have adequate staff. Uh, We need to keep people separate, the the physical distancing. We need to have 
infection control procedures. We need quality, safe, respectful, individualized care, person-centered care, all care. So I play that because part of your work is in trying to get somebody connected with the right place for their loved one to be or the loved one themselves looking for the right place is to, you know, be aware of some of the systemic issues. And one of them really is going to be for a time staffing shortages. I mean, that's just going to be real, as I said, in most businesses. But it is a particular issue for when you start talking about staffing places, uh, assisted living facilities or other places where older folks may live. How can seniorly assist in trying to get folks to think a little bit more broadly about this and deal with it? Yeah, I mean, with the pandemic COVID, yes, there has been staffing shortages. And when you're looking at the reason for that, why has that occurred? There's usually just three reasons for that. Um, It's the consistent low pay that these caregivers, nurses, staff, and these properties are receiving. Um, It's the demand with the aging population over 65. Obviously, there's a um, a lot of people who are turning 65 every single day. That number is growing in a positive way. Let's be positive about it. And there's ups and downs of of just the supply due to the pandemic, right? So there's all of these ups and downs. I mean, the one thing when we look at Massachusetts, it it seniorly did a study state by state for these shortages. And Massachusetts came in 49th, which many people would say, oh, that's not that bad. But yes, Massachusetts did have some staffing shortages. The one thing is that things are improving. Things are improving. You know, with the focus that has occurred specifically on our, you know, aging population during the pandemic, I mean, there's there's a lot that has come from this to bring light to really just, you know, look at what are the challenges here. I mean, I, I say this as a gerontologist and working in senior living, the caregivers, are the most important people in that building. And why is that? I mean, some people would say it's it should be everyone, it's the residents, it's, you know, the caregivers are the ones that are really kind of creating this culture, making sure that the residents are, are doing well, feeling safe. And it starts, yes, from the top, the leadership. But um, yeah, I mean, the, a lot of a lot of folks in that building understand that the staff, like staffing caregivers are so important. And there is a light to um, try to figure out how can we bring these margins lower, decrease this, this shortage? And that is happening. But yes, it's it's actually always widely been a challenge, but COVID just pushed it to a different level. Now, when you say caregivers in your context, you mean professional caregivers as opposed to what Jessica means, which is mostly... Yes, yes. Yes, yes just to be clear. Okay. Yes, caregivers, um, employees that are in the, the senior living community. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it can be LVNs, RNs, um, so a, a variety of, of levels of caregivers employed by that assisted living or long-term care facility. Exactly. Jessica, I'd like for each of you to weigh in on how you got in this work and why you're trying to address some of the issues as as we're discussing them now a little bit differently. So you got into it as a caregiver, not professional one, caring for your mom. And this opened your eyes to the isolation of non-professional caregivers and what is needed in terms of support. Yeah, absolutely. My mom had pancreatic cancer for seven and a half years, uh, which is very unusual. And when it came back for the third time, my parents moved from New Jersey and with me to Boston. And my kids were 10, seven and five at that time. And I was completely just thrust into 
that family caregiver role. I had to navigate all of her medical cares, performing all the nursing duties. I was training her stomach several times a day. Um, and I really felt that I was at that point where it was just so overwhelming. And it was, you know, I worked through all three kids and went right back to work. Um, but this was different. It was totally not supported. It was unpaved. No one ever talked about it. A lot of what we talked about, the perception and all of that. Um, and so I felt forced to quit my job for the first time ever in my life, which had a major financial and um, emotional impact on our family. And, um, you know, I was just, I became her primary caregiver. And I do come from a family of clinicians. And so what I realized was that, you know, clinicians are really obviously so important, but 98% of the time she was under my care and I was completely unsupported and unguided. We went to the ER, like it was our general store and I didn't utilize a single resource. And I'm a tech entrepreneur. I've always been in a tech space. And it was so eye-opening to realize that I didn't even know what to search for, what to ask for, what to look for and where to go. And so that is really, you know, after she passed away in my home, um, I was so deeply frustrated with how our society and healthcare system is not built to really support all the care that happens in the home. And that's um, really what is the key driver and motivation of really building out Ionicare to be this full support. Um, ironically, you know, uh, you know, that was in 2017 when she passed away. And then just this last two years, my dad, who's now 83, has major complications. So as I'm serving and building Ionicare and serving our working caregivers, I am one of them as well. And so I'm going through it right now, to be honest. And I just have to say, I just really agree with what Joe and Marlena is talking about. So much of it resonates. And whether you're a professional caregiver or a family caregiver, it, you know, it's all so integrated because life is a spectrum and stages and phases. And we have to all really integrate and work together because you need both. You need it all. And so I just really appreciate all the philosophy that they bring to the table. Now, one of the things that's intriguing and, of course, the basis of your app, Ionicare, is working with employers as offering this as a benefit. It seems to me that that gets to a lot of people who who sort of would just get lost. And by the way, you've done some work looking, trying to figure out what are the numbers of caregivers, and nobody's ever quantified that. This seems to be large numbers, but nobody knows quite how large. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned in the beginning, there are 54 million family carers in the U.S. alone. One out of five employees are caregivers at any given time. So it's a rotating one out of five. So it will impact every single employee at some point, and it's across all age ranges. And then the shocking statistic is that there's $530 billion worth of productivity loss due to illness-related situations and elder care. And that's a big number, but it was really eye-opening to realize that it's four times greater than fertility and maternity productivity loss. You know, of course, I'm a mom of three, I'm a female, I don't want that progress to end, but it just goes to show that everyone is focusing on that beginning of life type of caregiving. And yet there's something that's four times greater that no one is really talking about and addressing. The pandemic is definitely shifting that right now that per Marlena's point, there are some awareness momentum that we're seeing from the pandemic that people are realizing that this care happens. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, 32% of caregivers actually voluntarily leave their jobs, which is pre-pandemic numbers. So it's mm. much higher than that. Yes, now, yeah. yeah. Mm care for a loved one. And a fascinating thing that we saw in our own work was that people weren't taking leave of absence or quitting their jobs completely 
to rest up or spend quality time with their loved ones. But what they were doing was they were quitting their jobs just to frantically figure out how to actually manage or find care. And so when you pinpoint that problem, you realize, gosh, that is something that we can solve. And so, um, yeah, the numbers are staggering and it's only going to increase. As we all know, it's going to double in a matter of the next two decades. Um, and so I'm so glad, it, you know, we're talking about this to really kind of move the conversation forward. And so, Marlena, back to you. I'm curious about what's a common theme that you have come across. And, of course, you have that expertise as a gerontologist that keeps coming up about what works for these families to have a a good life or to have your seniors to have a good life as a senior and what doesn't work? What Are there some themes there that you've seen and are addressing? Yeah, I mean, so the themes would be around, I mean, when you're looking at the person themselves, it's connection. So how does that person connect to the world and, you know, and, and engage, right? So they could be, and I don't just mean engage in activities or in big groups, right? You can engage in other ways. You are, you're engaging when you have your routine to get up every morning to get a cup of coffee. That is, that is an engagement of your, of your, you know, your daily routine and regimen. Um, so I really think, you know, looking at this connection and engagement is number one, who is this person? And then you can look at the care needs, um, right? You can look at what does this person need potentially physically? Do they need assistance taking their medication or using the shower? But number one is connection and engagement to the world and to, you know, their day. And that's happening. That's the huge point right there, what you just said. And all of everything that you're talking about, Joe, you're going after one of the things that is actually a life and death situation for most elders, and that's trying to reduce the isolation. And I want you to respond to that. But also, I just want folks to understand that you came to your work with a particular insight because you ended up by accident in a geriatric unit and got a chance as a young child to actually see through the eyes of people who were older. And that stayed with you as you started later in life doing this work. That experience, just to reinforce, I was a teenager. I was in great physical shape. I wanted to play college football. I was strong and I tore my ACL. They said, you're gonna, we gotta put you in the geriatric unit. The pediatric unit is closed. I probably, probably didn't even know what they meant by geriatric unit. Before I was finally moved into pediatrics, after four days and four nights, my blood pressure was 230 over 180. My whole life was transformed. Everything you can imagine that can happen in a nursing home somehow happened to me. So I remember looking up saying, I know what I need to do. This No one should live like this. What people don't know, the Scandinavian Living Center was based on the best nursing home I saw in Denmark because I didn't want to be a nursing home. I wanted to be better. Trust me when I tell you this, a curtain is not enough to protect you from the the odors, the, the death that happens in these rooms. We need to fix our nursing homes as the foundation because it's an environment, not only for the people living there, but for the people working there. And I'll throw this out. Can you imagine the day when a staff person goes to work in a nursing home or anybody goes to visit a nursing home and comes back with an idea for their own home? That's how it should be. That's how good it should be. Elena and Jessica and all of you, you should want to live in a nursing home. Why not? If we get to that, I see everything else taking care of itself. Well, uh, just a quick round robin with all of you. How do you envision let's say the next five years of 
the way elders live in Massachusetts. And and again, Massachusetts is an expensive place because Massachusetts is expensive anyway for everybody, but it, it, it strikes home for, for those who are elderly. And now we have the three of you addressing some of the key issues in different ways. What do you see uh, in the next five years in terms of, of the future of how elders live in Massachusetts? You want to start, Jessica? Sure. I When I think about the next five years, I really think from a standpoint of it has to be a systemic change. And when we think about like, you know, the, the employers in Massachusetts, you know, I, I see a lot of parallels to maternity and childcare. And before women had to choose because they had no choices either to care for their family or to continue to work, which impacts the whole state and everybody. But then employers stepped up and said, okay, well, we are responsible. We have benefits. We have support. You can do both. And I think in a similar way, if employers and our health plans, these institutions, if they recognize and support and build these benefits for elder care, that also will trickle down to like what Joe's saying. There's a lot of trickle effects here, but in our sense, when we think about the systems, it really has to start with these key institutions because unfortunately, a lot of support comes from where, you know, how the money flows and what is worth it. And, you know, we have to change that, but we have to start changing it where that those conversations are there. So in the next five years, that's where I, I would hope the changes would be initially. All right, Marlena. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna mention, Jessica keeps saying we, I mean, and I, I think ultimately, like, yes, people need to start looking at this. Everyone should be looking at aging differently or putting that as a priority, but this is a community effort. Like we all need to really push forward to bring aging to light. And I do think that, you know, the pandemic did do that a little bit in in the sense of there are so many companies that came out from the pandemic, technology companies that came from this and they're early, early stages. So when you look at that five years, hopefully these will be the best companies in the world because of, you know, this very scary part in history. But even looking at, there are aging incubators. There's investor groups who are focusing on startups and aging. So there, there's a lot of efforts that are pushing forward and, and we have to do that, right? It, it is a community effort. So I'm hoping that in five years, we're going to see um, these, these startup companies really start to, to change how we view aging and how others might view aging and where we are in the industry today, because we have a lot of work for sure. Joe? Well, I think in the next five years, I believe there's going to be funding giving to cities and towns. I think it's up to the communities to fix their communities. I don't think there's a a model that everyone can copy. And I also think just like community, there's different ideas, different people, but different solutions. So it's not just an assisted living. Nursing homes don't, they're never going to replace hospitals. Assisted living is never going to replace a nursing home independent living, all those options have to come together. And at the end of the day, it's it's not about a pretty building in space, which is important. Uh, I think it's just about bringing the community together. We've been disconnected and we now need to take advantage of the technology that's out there and the opportunity for improvement. I think COVID is the darkness and in every type of darkness, you look for the light. And I think from that, we've discovered that isolation is unhealthy, Our buildings need to be better designed and somehow we have to bring the community together with all different ideas. But I do see cities and towns 
taking a more prominent role to help the entire industry. At least I'm hopeful. Thank you all so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Jessica Kim is co-founder of Ionacare, a Boston-based startup that provides tech-enabled caregiver support through employers and health plans. Joe Carella is executive director of the Scandinavian Living Center, an assisted living facility specializing in community-centered living in Newton, Massachusetts. Marlena Del Hero is a gerontologist and VP of Partnerships at Seniorly, an online platform providing access and insight to over thousands of senior living communities across the country. Coming up, Boston-based pediatrician Mark Vonnegut has seen a lot during his 40 years practicing medicine. His latest book is both a love letter to the profession and a critical look at the problems plaguing the healthcare industry. What's the state of healthcare in America today, and how can it improve? That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. We'll be right back.